Mortal Kombat is not about death, but rather the preservation of life. Liu Kang and a few chosen fighters from the Earth Realm defeated outworld sorcerer Chang Sung. According to the rules of Mortal Kombat, their victory preserved the safety of the Earth for one more generation. Only to enjoy a brief period of peace. For someone from outworld has a different point of view. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast, Mortal Kombat Retrospective Series. It has begun! Part of Now Playing's video game movie review series. You win the tournament, you win the respect. They'll tell the entire world you're the real goods. Hosted by Arnie. I am the chosen one. Justin. Let Mortal Kombat begin. And Stuart. One of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament. The fate of billions will depend upon you. A handful of people on a leaky boat are going to save the world. Exactly. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers, harsh language, and fatalities. About to go for a stroll, but maybe I'll stick around, you fucking idiots. Listener discretion is advised. Let Mortal Kombat begin. Today we're discussing Mortal Kombat! Starring Louis Tan, Jessica McNamee, Josh Lawson. Directed by Simon McQuoid. Not McQuaid, he's Australian. McQuoid. This is now playing's aggressive little bunny, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Justin. Welcome back, folks, to the video game arcade series. Maybe my favorite branch of the arcade, my favorite game to put some quarters to, or at least movie, Mortal Kombat. You know, it had been so long since we had started this, like, or it feels that way. We've covered so many movies. How about that? We've covered so many fighting games. I couldn't remember these characters. Like, it was all blending in my mind. Like, what was Mortal Kombat? What was the thing that made it stand out? Like, honestly, I think if I were to think about everything we've done, Pokemon. Pokemon would be the fighting game movies that are my favorite. But these are yours, Arnie? Yeah, I think Resident Evil's pretty good, and Detective Pikachu is a good movie, but nothing just gives me the adrenalized fun as pumping up some techno and watching some people chew scenery in that first Mortal Kombat film. Now, I prefer to just not acknowledge the second one unless I just want to laugh at it, but... I mean, I do feel like that first movie was a hit, and that shouldn't be undervalued. Usually we're reviewing Super Mario-sized bombs, and, like, people love that. Arnie loved that first movie, loves this game franchise. Have you guys kept up? Do you guys still play? I do a little bit. You know, I mean, it's still, you know, I I got the most recent one and played it a little bit, and found out quickly that I just don't have that part of my brain anymore where I can remember the combinations to do the cool finishing moves. So I'm basically just mashing buttons at this point. I've kept up. I Kept up is an interesting way to phrase it. Since we did the Mortal Kombat reviews, and how many years ago was that? Was that 19? Uh, it was at least two. Uh, no, maybe even three. Yeah, I think it was 2018. Ever since then, I've been playing Mortal Kombat from time to time. You know, I'd installed it on my PlayStation and bought it digital download, which I rarely do, but I was in a hurry for that game. And every time I turned on my PlayStation, there was Mortal Kombat 10 and then Mortal Kombat 11 I got. And so sometimes I'd be like, I just feel like playing a game, turn on my PlayStation, play some Mortal Kombat. And the games have changed because I agree with you, Justin. I don't know 
that I'd have the time, the patience, the dexterity. I was never good at Mortal Kombat's finishers. I was, I never once pulled off a fatality in my life. Could I start now? I can do better at Street Fighter's moves, but they don't, at least when I was playing them, they didn't have the fatalities and all of that going on. I could maybe shoot a fireball or two in Mortal Kombat, but the games have changed a lot starting in the early 2000s, which is long after that second movie. They're plot-driven now. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me they were like Animal Crossing and really cute and like budless. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> They've reformed their ways. They've given up violence. They now just negotiate peace. <laughs> From all the stuff I've read about the series, they realized that they were losing ground once you entered the 3D realm to games like Tekken. And mm. they realized we can't just be the gory game anymore. And so these plots that just started as like a little bit of text on a screen with that first one have really been embellished. And when I put in Mortal Kombat 11, we're in an alternate timeline in a helicopter with Sonya and Johnny Cage and Jax and it crashes and you're, you, it's a huge cinematic. And then it's finally time to play. You're fighting Scorpion. And then you watch another cinematic and it's no longer a tournament. It's like, ah. it's like a war, but the mm-hmm. war ends up in one-on-one or once in a while, I think one-on-two battles. You play whatever character matters at that point in the plot. If you're doing story mode. Now, of course, there's always tournament mode Mm. where you can go online and just whoop somebody's butt. Or if you're a teenager, probably whoop my butt because I suck. But (laughs) I prefer (laughs) that kid that you made cry, that (laughs) seven-year-old. He's grown up now and he can totally wipe your ass. (laughs) I enjoy these games for their story mode now because I'm not going to learn every fatality. And if I play through it normal mode, I can usually get pretty pretty far through the game and enjoy it for the story and just as an action game instead of as that old school learn the exact muscle memory to do this exact thing to be better experience and the stories have gotten interesting i've also kept up with the movies what was really shocking when i saw this mortal Kombat is i felt like i just saw this movie (laughs) last year an animated movie was released called mortal Kombat legends scorpion's revenge I started to watch this. I thought, like, I thought it was a bonus feature, and then I realized it was a cartoon. I was like, oh, this is kind of like the same thing. And I watched the wife and kid die in not quite the same way, but I I turned it off after five minutes. Yeah, it's an 80-minute animated movie. I wasn't even sure this live-action movie was coming out, and it was the start of Corona, April of 2020. I'm like, any new entertainment? (laughs) So I watched this. It was not bad, you know. Animated fighting never gets me adrenalized the way real-life stunts do, but I thought it was pretty good. But strangely, much like this movie that we're going to discuss today, it's all about Sub-Zero killing Scorpion and Scorpion being reborn and going for revenge. And then they're in the background, Raiden and Liu Kang working and starting the tournament, but they're really like sub-characters. It focuses a lot on Scorpion versus Sub-Zero. And I'm like, did they, did this cartoon just do so good? They're like, live action now! That's interesting. In my watching of it, what I thought they were really doing was like, we're finally going to give you the Mortal Kombat you want, because in an animation, we can give you the blood. And if we ever make a movie, because we have a teenage under-17 audience, it will always have to be 
PG-13 and censored in some way. Boy, was I wrong. Oh, that's that's interesting because when I when I saw that that thing was out there, I wasn't even sure if it was an official release in any capacity. I I, I guess I just assumed that it was like some fan thing cut together from cutscenes from one of the games. <laughs> it's plenty bloody, and it does seem to be telling this story for... They seem to be building up the mythology that Scorpion is one of the more important players, who was in the 1995 movie, but like kind of putting on a show in the background. Like he was one of the ninja cheerleader kind of people, but he wasn't a main character. He got that great fight with Johnny Cage in the forest. Okay. Where his hand opened up and that CGI blade came out that looked really cartoony back then. I remember that. Yes, I do remember that. To Stuart's point, like, yeah, I mean, Scorpion was more of a henchman back in those movies. It is strange to me because when playing Mortal Kombat and... I had friends who were into the lore and reading the comics and told me that Scorpion was undead. I'm talking in the 90s. People told me Scorpion was undead and Sub-Zero was his enemy, but then they both became slaves. But they just look like ninjas from the same clan that decided to do a color swap. Like, Mm -hmm. I accidentally put a blue sock in my laundry one day, so now I'm Sub-Zero. So, and then there was Reptile floating around. It felt like they were all of a type, like they would be their own side. That both were on the side of Outworld, but yet against each other. It, It just felt too complex to me for a game whose entire story was a little bit of lines on a screen. But these days you can get much into more detail. And I thought Scorpion's Revenge, the animated movie, showed me what Mortal Kombat 2 and to a degree the first Mortal Kombat did wrong is you're trying too hard to emulate Enter the Dragon and have this ensemble film. Liu Kang was the greater among equals in that first film, but the more you try to shove in these characters as main characters, it's not working, and by grabbing one character as your point-of-view character, admittedly, it didn't work for Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme as our one character with viewpoint. Chun-Li. Or Chun-Li, but it was a more interesting way to go to have a story outside of the tournament. And in fact, coming to this movie, that was what director Simon McQuoid and his screenwriters Oren Uziel and Greg Russo, no relation to Joe or Anthony Russo, decided is they didn't want to be beholden to the story structure a tournament imposes. If you're going to have a tournament, the story beats are predefined and you just have to write dialogue and character in between those story beats. So they decided we're going, we're not going to tell a tournament. We're not going to be a remake of what they did in 1995. We're going to be a little bit more like the newer games, a little bit more open world. Yeah, G.I. Joe or superhero movie. It surprised me. When we get to the end of this movie, I'm like, where's where's Mortal Kombat? I can't believe they didn't put Mortal Kombat in Mortal Kombat. But sure enough, like I didn't blink and miss it. They just never get to the tournament. Well, who is making these choices? The director, you've, you've mentioned his name several times now. Simon McQuoid doesn't ring any bells for me. I, like, what has he done? How do you wind up uh, resurrecting this franchise 25 years later? He wasn't the original director. They had announced, and I'm talking way back in the early 2010s, that the TV series Legacy I discussed when we did the Mm -hmm. previous Mortal Kombat movies, that guy, he'd started with a fan film and then got hired to make the TV series. Yeah. He was going to do the movie, and his writer from that fan film, Uziel, was going to write the movie. Well, at some point, that director 
was replaced, and I think it's around the time James Wan came on board as a producer for this. And James Wan has had a lot of successes to his name, and he brings some juice as far as the studio goes. His name isn't plastered all over this. It's not like Wes Craven's Wishmaster, where you go in thinking James Wan directed it. But I think he brought in some creative control, some quality control to a degree. And while Uziel is still credited as one of the story writers, that director was out, and in comes McCoy. And I'm not trying to say his name like a joke. (laughs) Yeah, you sound like Jocko. Energizer! But it's... Q-U-O-I-D. I mean, <laughs> avoid the quinoid, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess this guy is from commercials and music videos. Like, I guess, like, he, this is his first movie. He's never, he's never done this before. What he got hired for, what they saw him do, and I remember this ad, was in 2016, around the time of Rogue One, this guy was hired to do a Duracell commercial with Star Wars characters. And so he had R2-D2 and all of these things, and needing Duracell power. But he's done quite a bit of commercials. In 2011, he did this commercial for PlayStation that brought a lot of the PlayStation characters together. He made cutscenes for Xbox and PlayStation, Halo 3, Call of Duty. This guy did the cutscenes for those. And, you know, there may be some mocap, but it's not exactly live action. But he worked with voice actors and things. So he had non-cinematic directing experience across several mediums. And they approached him with this, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I've done a lot of video game work. I want to be a movie director. I don't want my first directing job to be a video game movie. Now, he says he read the script and was won over. I think if you want to be a Hollywood director, somebody could give you the fucking script for House 2, and you're like, yes, please, because it cuts my teeth and shows I've put out a movie. Yeah, I mean, nobody is itching to give him, you know, a Bergman art film. Like, yeah, you're going to do, you worked in video games, you're going to make a live action video video game movie. And so which one do you want to do? And this was a pre-COVID production. McCoy was hired in 16. They filmed this in 2019. 2020 was a great year for effects artists to work from home. And this had (laughs) always been scheduled for a 2021 release. This was not a 2020 holdover until they felt COVID was over enough to put something out. And this is my first theatrical experience since Tenet. I did go see Tenet during that brief oasis of openness for theaters in <laughs> August and I'm got my second shot I'm feeling safe I wanted to go see Mortal Kombat in IMAX even though it wasn't shot in IMAX or anything I wanted the big picture I wanted the big sound I was there opening night the ticket sales ahead of time showed it as a sold out show at 25% capacity but when I got there a lot of people didn't show up it was a pretty empty theater And I think somebody missed the memo that this is a hard R-rated film, as they had to take their crying four-year-old daughter out as soon as the violence started. Like, she was really distraught at gutted people. Oh, thank God. That makes me happy in a strange way that, like, yes, we should not put, yes, small children watching this kind of violence. Because I do feel like the world got more violent. I do feel like MMA, like, replaced WWF. WWF would have been the blueprint back in 1995, and now we have this, like, harder-edged violence. It makes sense to me that they finally risked the idea that we're going to make an R-rated Mortal Kombat. The fans of the game that grew up playing it are now old enough 
enough. And yeah, they've got kids. They could bring them to something that's going to be more challenging, more edgy, but not for four-year-olds. And neither is the cartoon either. Again, really, you if you want to please the people that like the game, you want to make something that is for 12 and, and over. Which leaves that person with absolutely zero excuses. It's not like this is a new franchise coming out of nowhere. It's like if you've been anywhere other than under a rock for the last 30 years, you know Mortal Kombat equals violence. But if they saw part two, maybe they think it is a children's <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, those first two ones, I mean, Arnie, you have to admit, there's something very, I think you liked that quaintness about it, but there was something very kitty about those 90s movies. And th- this seems to be a director that wants to, yeah, do something different. They don't want to continue. This is not trying to recall the old days, the Superman Returns. We want to give the Mortal Kombat gritty, violent fighter movie that today's audience would expect and hunger for. But Arnie, let's get into it. Give them the plot for Mortal Kombat 2021. We can find out how violent it gets. Earthrealm is on the verge of catastrophe. It has lost the last nine Mortal Kombat tournaments. Should it lose one more tournament, the savage realm of Outworld will invade. But an ancient prophecy foretells that a new group of champions will be united by the rise of Hanzo Hasashi's blood. The primary new champion is washed-up MMA fighter named Cole Young. He has no knowledge of Mortal Kombat, so when Sub-Zero shows up causing a hailstorm in July and trying to kill him, Cole is understandably confused. Cole, his wife, and daughter are saved by Special Forces Major Jax Briggs. Jax explains to Cole that Cole's dragon birthmark is a sign. Cole is to be one of the champions of Earth, and Jax shows his own dragon marking. As Cole escapes, Jax fights Sub-Zero and loses, with Sub-Zero ripping off both of Jax's arms. Following Jax's instructions, Cole goes to see Sonya Blade. Sonya served with Jax and has assisted him in researching everything about Mortal Kombat, even though she doesn't have the dragon mark herself. She's kind of a wannabe. Cole also meets Sonya's captive, gun-running Aussie Kano. Kano knows the location of the legendary Raiden's Temple where Earthrealm's champions have traditionally trained. There, Sonya, Cole, and Kano meet trained warriors Liu Kang and Kung Lao as well as lightning god Raiden. Liu Kang can shoot fireballs from his hands, and Kung Lao has a magic sawblade hat, and they explain that all Earth champions have an arcana, a special power that must be revealed through training. Sonya is not allowed to train, as she's just a wannabe, so she tends to Jax, who's there and outfitted with robotic arms to replace his lost flesh. And there's lots of training, and Kana learns his arcana as he can shoot lasers from his eye but Cole continually loses and never finds his power. Raiden reveals Cole is a descendant of Hanzo, a 16th century Japanese warrior killed by Sub-Zero. That's why Cole has the mark. Cole has had visions of his fallen ancestor, but never known what they mean. Meanwhile on Outworld, soul-eating sorcerer Shang Tsung prepares for his overtake of Earth after the 10th Mortal Kombat tournament. Shang Tsung's evil forces haven't won 9 tournaments by having the best fighters. They've cheated. Shang Tsung has sent assassins to Earth each time to take out the trained fighters before the tournament starts. That's why Sub-Zero went after Cole and Jax. The evil fighters bribe Kano into joining them, and Shang Tsung takes his best fighters to Raiden's temple and they attack. Kung Lao is killed. 
trying to save Sonya, Jax finds his Arcana, is taking his weak-ass robot arms and transforming them into giant, super-strong metal arms. As Cole is useless, Raiden sends Cole back to his wife and child. But four-armed Hulk Goro is waiting for Cole. When Goro almost kills Cole's wife and daughter, Cole finds his Arcana, an armored shirt, as well as some blade weapons. (laughs) With these, Cole kills Goro and returns to Raiden's temple. Jax, Cole, Sonya, and Liu Kang divide and conquer Shang Tsung's forces. Sonya kills Kano, and his Mortal Kombat dragon mark transfers to her. She's now finally a champion for Earth. Earth's mightiest heroes kill all of Shang Tsung's champions, save for Sub-Zero. They were going to team up on Sub-Zero, but the Ice Ninja discovered Cole was the descendant of his ancient enemy. Sub-Zero freezes Cole's wife and child, angering Cole into attacking alone. Cole is no match for Sub-Zero, but when Cole tries to use his ancestor's blade, it revives Hanzo from hell. Now calling himself Scorpion, Hanzo fights and kills Sub-Zero. Meanwhile, Cole pulls his wife and child from the ice and finds out they're still alive. And Hanzo wonders, why didn't I think of that? (laughs) This fight is won, but the tournament hasn't even started. (laughs) Raiden says more champions need to be gathered, and Cole flies to Hollywood to recruit martial arts star Johnny Cage as credits roll. As they start, uh, we debated this in the 95 movie, the podcast. We were like, is it a tail? Is it a grappling hook on a rope? Is it some kind of mace (laughs) on a long chain? First shot of this movie, they're going to like blow our minds. It's a garden hoe. Spade on a rope. That's Scorpion's favorite weapon. Being used by his wife tending garden in Japan, 1617. It's an origin story. We suddenly are being asked to care about, yeah, a character that definitely felt like a background henchman in a funny outfit. We are now to think of him as, I guess, the main character, or at least the guy with the main grudge. Yeah, this this opening sequence is gorgeous. I mean, I'm I'm really filled with a lot of hope sitting down to watch this movie and I'm getting flashes of like 47 Ronin and stuff here. I mean, it's just very well done and it almost makes me forget that I'm watching Mortal Kombat. I mean, I know all of the elements of the games and the past movies and outside of these guys kind of look like older versions of these guys. Like I'm not getting a whole lot of Mortal Kombat vibes from this. That had to be the intention. It definitely feels like we are going to class this up and make it feel like Lord of the Rings. They released the first seven minutes of this movie online just Thursday or Wednesday to entice people to see this movie. So the prologue basically is online. A, I wonder if that would have been a smart move because you're not seeing the classic characters in their classic costumes even using their superhero names. And so would you think this whole thing is going to be a period piece, a more violent Farewell My Concubine? But I think if I had watched that, it would have set my expectation because I am like, this isn't why I'm here. (laughs) Why are we in 17th century Japan? And why are they speaking Chinese in Japan? I was really having trouble because the subtitles are here. They're all speaking foreign languages. None of them are speaking English to dumb it down. But we find out that Hanzo and his family are speaking Japanese and they're in Japanese architecture. But when Bihan shows up, he's speaking Chinese sometimes and Japanese other times. They put that in the subtitles. And I'm like, is this going to be discussing international diplomacy? What exactly are we going for here? Yeah, well, that's kind of cool. I mean, it may leave Americans feeling left out. But yeah, is there some kind of cultural war being explored here from the past? These are 
two different Asian stars that are that come from different movie universes. Hiroyuki Sanada, I know him, he's on Westworld now, and we've seen him in one of the Wolverine movies as well, the one that was in Japan. But he has been a long-standing Japanese action star. He's playing the nice family man because he's 60 years old now, and they really couldn't build a whole martial arts movie around him, I don't think. But his mortal enemy is Joe Taslam, which I don't know if you guys have seen The Raid Redemption, but I don't do many, like, action movies, but, like, that's one to do. That one, like, this guy is amazing. And everyone in that movie, it was shot in Indonesia. I Maybe he's Chinese. I don't know. Incredible martial arts film. I haven't seen The Raid. I looked this guy up. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Ja from Fast and Furious 6. <laughs> oh, okay. So he sold out. But yeah, I, again, I think the one you want to see, really, I'm going to stress this. As someone that doesn't do this kind of movie too often, The Raid will leave you with PTSD. I literally walked out of that movie afraid people were going to knife me. It was just really intense. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it's on my list to see. It's one of those movies that everybody recommends. So seeing that he was in this, it gave me a little bit of hope of like, oh, okay, so maybe we are taking a little bit more of a serious tact. And Arnie, you know, you said you don't you don't come to a Mortal Kombat movie for something like this, and neither do I. But you know, they start showing me something that I thought maybe you know I didn't know I needed. Part of me was like, oh, maybe this is going to be all of an origin story movie and we're going to stay back here in the 16th century. But can it be a Mortal Kombat movie without jumping to present day? I don't think so. And I knew this wasn't going to stay here. Here's what my thought was. My thought was either A, this was going to be the crow and Scorpion was going to die here and be reborn to avenge his family, but be reborn in present day. Or... His soul will, like, come to life in his descendants. I didn't realize this was a 60-year-old guy. Mm -hmm. I thought maybe you shave the mustache, shave the beard, take off the top knot. He could play, you know, someone in his 30s or 40s today who's in Mortal Kombat. He's very youthful looking for 60. I hope to look this good at 60. I agree. So I thought that I knew which way this thing was going. I didn't. But this opening fight is pretty good. They start off with... I just want to call him Scorpion, but they start off with Hanzo just kicking ass of all these guards. He uses a sword, but then when he picks up that garden hoe, he really is having some cool moves with that flying around and things, doing things I could never do in real life, but it's a lot of fun. It's the kind of martial arts movie I enjoy just watching people do impossible things. And the music is... Techno-ish, there's definitely an electronic component to it, but it ain't the 90s anymore. We're not at the rave. They definitely seem to want to create a vibe that does feel more, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but <laughs> it's something that feels less like the campy cartoon that, that was all that Paul Anderson wanted to do was geek out. And here, you get the sense that this is a director that's like, nope, we're trying to tell this period epic tale well also setting the tone for the level of violence and gore that we're we're going to be in in mm. store for too here i mean we get some some headshots where you know blood comes gushing out but we don't we don't dwell on it you know it's there to up the stakes but not necessarily revel in it oh i think it's a little revel that was maybe the only thing i knew coming into this movie was that this is an r-rated movie and if you didn't know that if you have your four-year-old and you're sitting there in the imax i gotta think we 
when you see, yeah, Sub-Zero, like, spear that guy against the window and, and all that red goes on there and they're hiding the baby, you know very well that this is going to be more intense than any video game action movie we've seen. When Hanzo gets gutted and there's all that blood coming out of him and we see he's stabbed with his own blade and it rises up in him, it made me think of Alien vs. Predator Requiem. Wow. And here's why. Okay. I know, that's never a good thought. Yeah, it's not nice. But remember, Aliens vs. Predator was PG-13, and fans hated that movie. I hated it. Another Paul W.S. Anderson film, by the way. Mm. And the studio decided, oh, the fans didn't like it because it wasn't bloody. That's what it was. It's not that the script sucked. It's that we didn't have enough blood. So with Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, they went NC-17 and then cut it back for theatrical, but put out the NC-17 cut on the impossible to see because it's underlit anyway DVD. And I'm like, is that what this movie is going to be? Am I in for ultimate fan service where they think gore will serve in lieu of plot or in Liu Kang of plot? No, but I feel like it's right in that line. A couple of times, I think there's gore shots here that are just for the sake of being extreme because they want to say we're different than what came before. I don't think any fan of the Mortal Kombat video game is going to think they're being exploitive with violence. This is what we like about that game. This is what made that fighting game unique and cooler than Street Fighter and all the others. Like, you absolutely have to have this as an element if you're going to do it. And I, I mean, I've seen enough violent movies to know they could have made it even bigger if they wanted to. It feels bloody enough to shock the father of the four-year-old. But yeah, I think it just, it reassures people that they won't be pulling punches the way Anderson had to with that PG-13 rating. Is this fight great, though? I feel like it was okay-ish. We end up seeing that Bihan wins, essentially. Hanzo gets his face smashed against a rock, bleeds out, burns up. His family is frozen in ice, but he did have a baby daughter underneath the floor, and that is what's going to continue the bloodline, because the lightning dude, the guy in the patty hat with the white eyes, is going to show up, and he's not Christopher Lambert. Yeah, there's a couple of things with this scene. First of all, I really thought Hanzo was dead, but then he hears the baby crying, and he's like, oh, I'm alive, and I mean, this guy was gutted, okay? Gutted, stabbed, left with blades in him, he dead. And then a baby cries, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna come back to life for a little bit just to crawl my way back to the house. And then when you say he burns up, I'm like, well... Obviously, he's not dead dead. Again, I'm thinking of the crow. He's gone somewhere because when you die, your body doesn't just get this flaming vortex and leave some ash on the ground there. But Raiden, let's talk about Raiden. Obviously, having Christopher Lambert in the rice paddy hat, that was a little bit of a racial insensitivity. Here, they've gone with an Asian actor and he's not wearing a rice paddy hat so much as what looks like a lampshade. Yeah. yeah. It is a comical hat. It really does look like a, not a table lamp, but like one of those floor lamps that you put down. <laughs> this would be what funnels the light back down towards you. <laughs> 
I mean, this character has always been silly. And, and the, what's weird about it is that they're not playing this for camp. We're not supposed to be laughing, but of course we are. And is this too dramatic? It suddenly has me asking, are they really asking too much of the audience for them to set it up as this 17th century epic? And then, yeah, we have to wear these outfits because that's what we look like in the video game. He's a goofball. It's working on me to this point. You know what I'm saying? It's like, because I know what's in front of us. I know that every character in Mortal Kombat is goofy looking to some degree. I mean, it's just unavoidable, you know? So to at least give us some of this grounding three centuries back and give us a reason to somewhat care about the plight of one of these characters, I'm applauding them for this, you know? I am I feel like this is a different tact than any of the other movies have taken. So I'm fine with it so far. Yeah, I, the reason why I ultimately couldn't recommend Anderson's movie was it was all fanboy geeking out and it wasn't a good movie. And like this actually is teasing the promise that we actually are trying to tell theatrical epic, a Gone with the Wind, a Lawrence of Arabia. Like that's, you know, I'm not saying they're getting there, but I'm saying <laughs> that this this is the kind of prologue that tells you you're seeing a spectacle that will not be just about people in a ring beating on each other. Let me ask, though, because I'll just get this out of the way now. I'm going to call it out, but my biggest problem with this movie is costuming. It feels more like a cosplay contest at C2E2, which is like a third-rate I'm not even good enough for Comic-Con level at a couple of these costumes and CGI. It looks like a low-budget movie. I will say that it does... Cosplay might be a bit harsh, but it does feel like they didn't have enough to do the spectacle we, we've come to expect. You know, like it's not a Marvel movie. It doesn't bestow these characters with enough grandeur that, yeah, when you see them, you go, wow, they really brought them to life. There's not a single actor here that you would go in to see because you're like, I like that guy unless you're really into the raid. No, I don't know where they got these people. They called Central Casting. They raided a Pier 1 and they said, (laughs) let's do it. (laughs) But let's do it without laughing. And that's going to be the challenge. You're wearing that Pier 1 lampshade, but no one's supposed to laugh. I feel like they split the difference on some of the costuming. I mean, because a lot of it is goofy looking. A lot of it does feel rubbery, too, you know, but at the same time, like, they were somewhat restrained on some of the characters. Restrained. Good word. Yeah, I mean, they kind of split the difference. So, like, you have a little bit of that video gamey over-the-topness, but you also have a little bit of a foot in the real world. So, split the difference, and I'm okay with it. I'll agree with that. I, I just wanted to put it out here now, because I'll, I don't want people to think I'm hating on this entire film when I bring up Kung Lao's stupid hat later. But And especially when we get to Cole, but to me, this couldn't stand up there next to most modern films. I'd say only Black Panther has worse CGI of a movie I've seen in theaters in the past 10 years. And I would actually cite the problem not as the budget, not as the art department, not Pier 1. I would say we're working with a director that doesn't have full confidence in his vision. He's not exactly sure how this is supposed to look and feel. So there are tonal things that are going to throw you off. The R-rated violence paired with some of the more goofy elements and then some of the more self-serious movies. I do feel like this is a mishmash and not a confident debut for this director. I also get confused because I like Mortal Kombat. I've played most of the versions. I've lived with Mortal Kombat since the mid-90s. I was in there enough to be indignant when they 
neutered it for Nintendo, and I was in theaters for both movies. But we get there, and we're introduced to Cole. And I'm like, I've never heard of Cole Young. And I thought it was Cole Young, because, I mean, you got Liu Kang, Kung Lao. I thought it was Cole Young, but it was Cole Young. And I'm like... Who's this guy? Oh, he's just going to turn into Scorpion, right? That's the whole point of Cole Young is he's going to become Scorpion. Nope. I had to look this up. I'm like, did I miss him? Was he a one-off in Mortal Kombat 8? It turns out the producers insisted you created original character for this movie's protagonist. Ah. He is not in any game. Here he is for the very first time. Oh, see, and here I was saying I would never play this character. After watching <laughs> what he does and how bad he is, I'm like, whenever I play Mortal Kombat again, I will not play Cole Young. But I don't even have the option. <laughs> I didn't think that he was anything from the game or anything like that. I thought what they were doing was taking Luke Cage, Luke Kang, and turning him into one character that would eventually become Scorpion. But that was all thrown out the window halfway through this movie, so... Then you missed an Easter egg. In Cole Young's first scene, if you're paying attention and it caught my eye, there's a Johnny Cage poster in that locker room. They're going to do a close-up of it on the last scene, but it's there in the first scene. Ah, I did miss that early on. And this actor, Louis Tan, he has his own kung fu series called Into the Badlands, and he's the star. Don't watch it. Don't know him. To me, he will be known only as Shatterstar from the five minutes he's in Deadpool 2. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's him. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> he was great in that, though. He looked the part. I love Shatterstar in Deadpool 2. <laughs> he's mostly a stuntman, and that's where you'd want to put the focus, right? You'd want somebody, if nothing else, somebody that can fight. It's weird that he's going to spend the whole movie being bad at this. <laughs> like, me- I'm mediocre, and most of the people, like, will beat up. The- like, I'll start on a bad guy, but other people will come in and finish him. Goro. I think Goro is his only victory in this movie. I find him incredibly unappealing. I will just say like, it's not just performance and his loser status, but like, I can't believe that they've hung the movie on this guy. I did have to go back. I couldn't remember Liu Kang from last time, but I was like, this is not who we followed before. They've as you've already explained to me now, they've created a character thinking this would be uh, distinguishing it from anything that's been done in the game, but it's not a character you'd want in a movie like this. That problem is exacerbated for me with the realization that the part about Mortal Kombat that I always forget about is the realms. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I always forget, like, oh yeah, that's right, there's this outworld that is trying to take over Earth, and we're supposed to care about Earth. And it's like, okay, if we're supposed to care about Earth, give us a reason why we should care about Earth outside of... We live on Earth. How about that? We we live here, but, I mean, that's not even part of the stakes, really. Like, it doesn't say that they're going to come here and take over the entire planet and kill everybody. I mean, none of that is set. It's just, there's this other realm, they've been cheating, and this guy's supposed to be our hero... I mean, either the stakes need to be set so we don't care who our hero is and he wins at any cost, or we love our hero so much that the stakes don't matter that much. And we don't get either of those things. What's really funny to me is we have this grounded opening fairly, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. if you can call Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon grounded. Yeah. There's fantastical moves going on, but Goro isn't here, you know what I'm saying? And then we cut from the 17th century to this dense text about outworld and realms and earth realm and you know i opened my plot summary with the text from that and i felt like such a douche reading it i mean it's just like <laughs> you've gone from such reality to earth realm why not earth but earth realm 
Yeah, I'm gritting my teeth. I don't like this stuff at all. But again, if you're aspiring for Lord of the Rings, having different realms, you know, Game of Thrones, if that's what you're trying to do, then I guess that, yeah. And I remembered this vaguely from the old movie. Like, it's in the game. Like, this is this is stuff that you have to deal with if you are adapting Mortal Kombat into a movie. So we get this, like, gothic throne room where the real bad guy, Shang Tsung, is sitting there. You say he's cheated in before? Yeah. He literally says that out loud. Like, we haven't won the last nine because we have the best fighters. And Raiden can't find out we've cheated. Oh, I okay. Because I, I'm like, this guy's Nixon. Like, you've won everything. Like, why are you breaking in and trying to cheat now You, if you're so good? <laughs> and, and clearly, if the hope is Cole Young, this won't be a problem. I don't really understand why he feels he needs to use Bihan, who now goes by Sub-Zero, as some kind of assassin before the, the martial arts tournament. I just need to go out. 300 years have passed since he killed Hazo. And 300 years later, he then says to Shang Tsung, I am Sub-Zero. <laughs> Why today? <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it's probably a very difficult like child rearing <laughs> between those two until he develops this identity for himself. But it, this is supposed to be the rematch of that opening fight. Sub-Zero is going to come back to hunt Cole Young, and Cole Young has to be as cool as Hanzo, and that, for me, will be the struggle of this movie. I really feel like they didn't get the right character slash actor for me to, to root for. Well, we see him get his ass kicked in an MMA battle for $200 at the opening. I know what this character's arc has to be. They say, you don't fight, you just punch. Fighting means you punch and block. I'm like, so we're going to find out he's aggressive and he needs to be strategic. There's his arc summed up by some walk-on actor who has five lines in the movie. And his daughter, who they, they establish that he's got a family, because that'll make him more likable. And this little girl is, like, screaming strategy at him through the cage and... And ironically, the wife can't even watch. She thinks of him as such a loser. She can't watch her husband be bloodied up. (laughs) They just meet afterwards at the burger joint. And the daughter's like, use the uppercut. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but I guess he has a good uppercut in the game. (laughs) So so what I'm hearing is none of us are really into our protagonist here. I mean... Not at all. In a way that's going to hurt this movie, because I feel like you've got... A simple formula here and a dense mythology I don't care to explore. And everything is hanging on, like, writing this vengeance that happened back in the 17th century. We've got to be rooting for Cole and his family. We've got to want to see this guy go from wimp to winner. I was just so sure, though, the first time I watched this, that Cole was going to turn into Scorpion. So I'm with Cole this whole time. I'm like, he's going to turn into Scorpion. Gotta turn into Scorpion. So I was with Cole, but I knew his arc, what it was going to be, and it takes a long time to get there. I'm really... Well, I can't say I'm glad when Jax walks in, because Jax isn't exactly the best of charismatic actors either. He's the first one to show up. Makad Brooks, I he's a very attractive man. I have seen him in Desperate Housewives back when I watched that show, but... He doesn't have much presence either. Desperate housewives. That's the problem. Let's just cut to the chase. This feels like it's populated by people that were on a show 15 years ago. That's exactly right. This feels like people that are has-beens and never were's that just like are auditioning for the new Mortal Kombat TV show. Where is your theatricality? Where is your your cinematic wow? Like, if you're not going to get the best fighters in the world, get actors that bring something. 
Well, apparently he is on Supergirl, which I didn't watch, and a TV show called Necessary Roughness, which I didn't watch because I believe it is not connected to the Scott Bakula film. If it had been a TV adaptation, I'd have watched it. But like I say, I know this guy from Desperate Housewives. Yeah, I, I just I wanted to just put out there as a general blanket statement. Those first two guys are the best actors in this movie. Well, I mean, I guess the Aussie. I feel like they'll be an up and comer trying to steal the spotlight. Will steal the spotlight. But by and large, we got a lot of no-names and dim bulbs as our supposed superstars. In an ensemble fighting game where you know that there are people out there that love every character and that's their guy and they play them, every time we see someone, we should be rooting for them. And I feel like McCod Brooks comes in here and sneers that Cole isn't a good fighter, but he's not much better. <laughs> like when he will get his fight scene and Sub-Zero shows up, I feel like he gets a gun for one thing and he is soon dispatched. And he's listing his resume while they fight six tours motherfucker i'm like am i fighting somebody 140 words per minute asshole (laughs) (laughs) i mean in the interest of not just ripping every little thing this movie did i i will point out that they did some things that were neat and visually cool and i do like seeing sub-zero's powers and it gives a good excuse to see how jack's lost his arms and became the jacks we know in the game with the mechanical arms. Yeah, Sub-Zero is definitely overpowering everybody else on screen. He has cool powers and yeah, he's making hail fly in July and, you know, just doing all the things that we want the T-1000, you know, as it were. Like, he shows up, everybody here on Earth, and so I'm really hoping that like, these people can rise to the challenge and Jax, he gets a good death. Yeah, his arms freeze up and he, the way that he hits that rebar when he's like thrown down into that <laughs> hole in the ground. Bloody splat. Again, I'm appreciating the fact that they're at least killing him violently. I saw this in the trailer. They put it in the trailer to let us know, hey, this is going to be really violent and bloody. They had a red band trailer out there that showed this. So I knew how this fight was going to end, and I knew this guy was going to have robot arms eventually. And then Cole goes to where Jax told him to go to see... Sonia Blade. Gary, Indiana, by the way. I just want to point out, you never want to go to Gary, Indiana. <laughs> Unless you're the music man, no. <laughs> I've been there. Like, it's just nothing but power lines. I swear to God. Like, downtown City Hall is just, like, transistors and power lines. Like, you'll get cancer just by driving by. It's so frightening. Keeping in mind, this is supposed to be us caring about the Earth realm, too. As Gary, Indiana's <laughs> our base of operations. So, here, I'm like... This actress, Jessica McNamee, she's Aussie, obviously close to home. I don't know her from anything, but I'm like, they've gone a little bit more realistic with the fighter here by being brave and not picking someone as attractive as 1995 Sonya Blade. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like that's true of this entire cast. Like, people that have never been put in front of the camera before, this is a screen test. And you know what? I'm the casting agent that doesn't call you back. It's like, nope, none of these people are good enough for this movie. There's also just, again, they seem to have spent a lot of money on Under Armour t-shirts and not so much on effects and cast here. This is, (laughs) I mean, apparently her biggest role, I couldn't get this far in the movie. She's the ex-wife of Jason Statham in The Meg. So she's been on the big screen before, but this is like her biggest starring role. But I thought for sure, I'm like, she's a stunt person, right? I mean, look at her. She's a (laughs) stunt. (laughs) 
not trying to like insult her. She's not. Well, you're not not trying to insult her. <laughs> I mean, you're being harsh, but you know what? Truth hurts. I'm not here to shame anybody for how they look. But when you are put in a movie to look like a cool character that everyone wants to play, you are objectified and you need to honor that. And I feel like all of these people are duds. She is not going to help this movie by bringing in a new energy. Yeah, to agree with Stuart, I have seen the Meg all the way through and I didn't realize that was the same actress. So like, yeah, I mean, not to say she's ugly, but she doesn't have that it factor where it's like, oh, it's her on screen again. Or the director and the cameraman don't know how to light her and use her. I mean, that's you also have to realize like that takes a certain talent behind the camera to find the performance, to find the magic. And just I'm feeling the unprofessional, not ready. Like it feels like everyone here wasn't ready for this job. This director, these actors, maybe Australia, I don't know. But like everything here feels like it is not ready for the challenge of this film. Well, my disappointment is I thought that they'd save some money and went with stunt performers. When I see her and when I see Cole, I'm thinking, okay, let's bring in stunt people who can act, you know? Nobody's going to be a Jackie Chan who's, you know, going to be a superstar in this movie, but let's at least have people do their own stunts, do their own action. And then I look her up and, no, this is not a stunt person. This is just an actress they still had to put in a stunt person for, I like her better, though, as Sonya Blade. She feels more military to me. Bridget Wilson-Sampras did not look ex-military, did not look tough, did not look anything but cute. And here, I feel this is more true to the character. If I were playing a fighting game, I would pick this Sonya Blade because I feel like she could kick more ass. Yeah, I agree with that. So she's here in Gary, Indiana. She spent the last seven years of her life collecting pictures of dragon tattoos. Like, she's the girl that wishes she had the dragon tattoo. She's not the girl with one. She hasn't gotten it yet, but she's photographed everyone who has these supposed dragon birthmarks because she wants in on this game. Like, there's some kind of backstory where she and Jax were in Brazil, and he got his tattoo by killing one of these supernatural people. It transfers to the winner of a fight. And rather than show us that, because, you know, this is not an action movie. This is a movie where people are talking in a warehouse in Gary, Indiana. Yeah, we we just are told all of this information in a data dump. It's setting it up to happen later. And it sets up Cole. What a boring name. It sets up Cole as being special because he was born with it, whereas everybody else got one. And yet, look at him. Kano, we're going to meet. And Kano, my favorite fucking part of this movie. I'm, like, lolling to sleep in the IMAX theater and Kano shows up. But Kano killed somebody for his, too, we're told. Yeah, Kano, I don't know Josh Lawson, but I'm assuming stand-up comedian. He doesn't look like a fighter. You know, it looks like they brought him in specifically because he's an insult comic, and he's definitely going to just put a lot of piss and anger into this room and into this movie and it will pass as some kind of comic relief and he's actually you know an aussie cast to play an aussie you know the last few canos we have haven't been that you know they've been british guys so you know it's it's good casting here i don't even remember this character from the other movies he, I mean, he, he's a fan favorite in the game. Yeah, he was in the first game. He was in the first movie. He has half a metal face, and Sonya was chasing him. I remember that. I remember Laser Eye. When he gets it later, I'm like, oh, I remember playing this guy. 
Yeah, I thought for sure something was going to happen to his face. They're going to be attacked by Reptile here, and Reptile came right out of a Ridley Scott movie because he bleeds acid blood. I'm like, okay, he's going to get acid on his face and going to need to put on a mask the same way Jax lost his arms and is going to need robot arms. But no, Kano's, that side of his face is going to get clawed up, but he never is going to put on the Phantom of the Opera mask. Which is fine. I mean, I feel like not in this series necessarily, but just over the last 10, 15 years and all of sci-fi and superhero movies, we, I've seen enough half-cyborg-ish humans to last me a lifetime. So it's it's not necessarily needed. It's not unique anymore. You're glossing over the fact that, yes, a reptile burst in here with acid blood. Can I just call out, this is the moment where I realize this movie's not going to get better. Like, we cut back to Outworld, and Shang Tsung is, again, still like, oh, I'm winning, and yet I'm still worried about losing, so let's unleash the... I kept writing down the lizard, but you say it's Reptile? That's the... Sizoth is what they call him? Yeah, the character is Reptile in the games, and we saw him in part two. He's supposed to be able to turn into a green version of Sub-Zero and Scorpion, but here he never leaves lizard form and becomes the ninja form, but he was this really bad CGI creature hopping around the second movie, and no fault on you if you don't remember anything about that second movie, because I wish I didn't. <laughs> I don't. It's like a bad fever dream in my past. <laughs> I remember a Minotaur. That's the only thing I could tell you about the second movie. There was a Minotaur, but I remember nothing else. But this fight is bad. It's staged bad. The character, I can see why they're hiding it, and when they have to show it, it looks bad. It's not as bad as Paul Anderson's vision, but... You're it- saying this looks better and fights better than the 19th 19- 95 one because Paul Anderson didn't do the sequel. I'll agree with you better than the sequel. Nothing's worse than the sequel, but I think that the fighting in this film is not better than Paul W.S. Anderson's original. Paul W.S. Anderson made a shitty looking film that you thought was really exciting. It looked like absolute ass. This doesn't look like absolute ass, but it is a bad fight scene. What I will agree with you is that this is not better than that 95 movie, and that's shocking. I thought it would have been very easy to clear that bar. The only thing they get right is Kano rips the heart out of the thing at the end. I'm like, ah, yes, you gotta do that. I don't think that had been done in the pre movie. That's his fatality in the game, and then he awkwardly goes, Kano wins. I mean, I win is more proper grammar, but, uh, you know, maybe this guy's like Trump, and he just refers to himself in third person. He is drawing his own graphic novel of himself, and (laughs) I I do feel like he's an egomaniac. (laughs) I have to ask, though, I thought when he punched through the lizard, and he screams, that wasn't a scream of victory. I thought that was a scream of acid blood on his arm, but his arm's just fine. Didn't the creature bleed acid earlier, or was it drooling acid? I I, uh, thought it was drool. I don't know. I couldn't tell. I couldn't see it. I didn't want to when I did see it. (laughs) This is a highly, highly underdeveloped bad scene that they probably should have just cut. Like, they would have done better just to say, okay, let's go to the castle and let's not have a fight scene because we ha- if we have to fight this half-invisible reptile, it's going to kill whatever cool we've got going. I'll play devil's advocate a little bit. I like the fact that they had to use a signal flare in order to track him because he was constantly invisible. They yeah. couldn't figure him out. Even when they're like, be quiet. 
it, and then he's up hissing loudly in the rafters. They can't hear him, so they stab him with a signal flare. I thought that was a pretty cool idea and a nice effect of the red glowing anywhere he went so that they could stab him and things. But to me, this movie gets going at this moment. Kano is unchained, literally, and... The movie becomes much more lively for it. You say he's an insult comedian? I don't know, Josh Lawson. I'd like to. He is the first character to wake me up in a cast of dullards. Yeah, that's exactly where I was heading with this, is all of our heroes up to this point are a bunch of duds until we meet Kano, which is a character that historically I haven't given two shits about. You know, he's been just kind of a obnoxious background character, but he's going to start to steal this movie away from everybody. But just thinking about this director, like, if you're a commercial film director, you're supposed to make things look absolutely amazing, right? You want a visual style. Like, I get that he hasn't worked with these actors. He doesn't know how to tell a movie story. But this shit should look awesome. He should be able to deliver something that looks as cool as the game. And this scene is really bad. Like, I just want to stress, this scene is the killer. This is where I would have turned it off if I could. See, and I, I guess I'm not getting that. Like, the fighting is what it is. We're in an arcade movie, and it's people punching the hell out of each other and ripping hearts out. You know, I mean, that's fine. I think what's killing me is some of these sets. You know, I mean, so far, we've seen a trailer park. We've seen downtown Gary, Indiana. <laughs> This is what I'm talking about. Like, if you get Ridley Scott, if you get David Fincher, if you get people that come from the commercial world, they can make Gary, Indiana look like a futuristic place you want to be. Like, this is so cool looking. Everything in this movie looks half-assed and, like, comes from the clearance rack at Zara's. Nothing looks right. I agree that nothing looks great. That's where I got my cosplay thing. I think they look pretty good when they get into the desert walking to Raiden's castle. That's a cheap thing that every low-budget movie knows to do in California. Like, let's just drive out there to Death Valley and that'll be post-apocalyptic. You know, like, yeah, okay, a desert. You know, what, they went to Utah or something, or Australia, as it were. I do not see the artistic work being done to tell me that this is a professional movie. It starts to look better, but, like, even when we're in, like, the other place of Outworld. I feel like a few more establishing shots to give us, like, the breadth of this place. But when we're in Outworld, all we see is a quick shot of a valley. We see this half bridge. And it just feels like you might be in some ruins in the outback of Australia. Outworld is where the movie falls apart. And I'm so glad that the Outworlders come to us and we don't go to them. Again, not as bad as part two, where the Outworlders looked really, really bad, like that Minotaur and that woman. Mom, you're alive. Too bad. You will die. I mean, <laughs> it, it just came back to me. It's just like, I like, what are you talking about? <gasps> oh, God. I miss Kerry Hiroyuki Tagawa. That is a great character actor who played Sang Zoon in the first film, brought presence, just chewed up the scenery. And this guy, what is he master of? We've won nine Mortal Kombats, but we don't have a house. They're just walking in the desert and slaves are around and these no-name, not-established characters show up. General, go kill them. I'm like, okay, I don't remember this guy with the big hammer and the armored arms. I haven't played his version of the game enough or gotten as far in mine as I need to. 
But this is reminding me of, again, part two, when they're like, this person, that person, show up and go fight just because we want to shove as many robots in here as we can. I also feel like there's some sort of drop subplot from Outworld, at least something dealing with Shang Tsung, because there's a couple scenes, or at least one scene, where we see him walking in Outworld having some sort of expository dialogue, and his face is all beat up and sullen and bruised. And then in the next scene we see him, He's fine. So I don't know if there was some plot about him needing to suck souls to continue to survive or something that they just forgot to mention, but it it was really jarring to me. Mm, Yeah. I'm picking on the production values here, rightfully so. I can't say I'm having a bad time, because when they get there and Liu Kang shows up, the fan service to me when he hits Kano with that fireball and Kano's like, Am I going to get a magic power? Can I shoot knives out of my butt? It's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what you're going to get. I'm smiling. I like this portrayal of Liu Kang. No, it's not as good as Liu Kang from the first movie, but he was the protagonist there. Here, this guy feels like the Shaolin monk I was always told Liu Kang was. He's been studying with Raiden in this temple his whole life, along with his brother from another mother, Kung Lao. I love his chicken dish. So, I was feeling good to see these characters and to see Raiden come back in the movie. Seeing these familiar ones from the game and having Kano rip on all of them is bringing me some joy here. No, I, I have the op- opposite reaction. After the reptile warehouse attack, and they all of a sudden they're like, oh, we know exactly where this temple is, and some old lady's just gonna drive us over there in some plane from somewhere nowhere, and, and like, it's just here in the desert, like this everything that happens afterwards i can always tell an experience in a filmmaker when like a scene is only one bit of information and then they cut and then we go to another scene one bit of information and then they cut like there's no interaction between these characters we have a a bunch of fragments that are, are happening here when we get to what should be the heart of this film how cole is going to learn how to be a jedi and use the force and instead it's this really barely coherent montage at some spa. Okay, you've hit my one nerve with this movie. You claim inexperience with the director. I literally feel like if somebody sent me this movie as a video podcast and said, here, I edited this for you, I'd send it back for revisions. Yes. The editing in this movie is nightmarish. Yes. There is a time later in the movie when Kano is having a conversation where the audio pops. And you know why the audio pops? I've edited over a thousand podcasts. The audio pops is because they cut the scene while the guy was speaking and didn't bother smoothing it. They came in mid-word on the guy. And there are scenes, and they're not trying to be David Fincher fight club, here's a shot of a penis. There are, like, a couple times where you see two frames from the other angle of the shot and come back. And I'm like, what are you doing? You missed this. You just didn't know you missed this. This is a mistake, and it's up there on the IMAX. I didn't notice it as bad watching it on the small HBO Max screen on IMAX. These editing choices made me want to punch somebody. Yeah, I don't know that I noticed, and I don't think I have the skill to notice what you're talking about with the audio mix, but just in general. I mean, you get the a sense that all of a sudden all this stuff is happening for no good reason. The movie, whatever steam that it had at the beginning, it's completely lost here in the underground. I feel like this is not fun. Liu Kang is showing up and Raiden, I feel like Raiden. Raiden is looking at this and being like, this is what I have to work with. I'm like, I know. Amateur hour. Like, you're not going to be able to pull 
this <laughs> off. And that's why I feel like the opening of this movie is more of a disservice to the overall movie than it is anything else because it sets up expectations that the rest of the movie isn't going to come anywhere near achieving. Where I'm at is this, is I'm like, okay, we are about halfway into this movie. This movie is probably too long. <laughs> probably a good 90 minutes would be good, but we're in Mortal Kombat. We need to see fights. We had a great opening fight. We had the reptile. We had Jackson Sub-Zero, but... We haven't really had fights. We had a couple of blows here when we saw Liu Kang could shoot fire. But in a movie, you want fights. And in the game, especially the early ones, you play as anybody and you fight everybody. You know, you have to, even if you're Jax, you have to punch Sonya Blade out. So here's the sparring matches where we get to see things like Liu Kang versus, I guess, Cole, if Cole counts. <laughs> <laughs> I was wanting to yeah. pick a good character. but Kano. But Kano's supposed to be on the bad side. So that didn't quite work out. But I'm feeling like the whole power is lost when I'm watching Mortal Kombat, meaning, you know, one man wins, one man dies. And it's sparring matches for the middle of the movie. I should be getting some good fights. And instead, I'm getting, no, I won't pass you the egg roll. <laughs> right. Let's talk about Arcana, right? Really, because this is like what what they get at here is that there's this unique way to get your supernatural power. Anybody can throw a punch, but if you want to throw a fireball, you have to like dig deep. And we have this scene where like Liu Kang is basically like, oh, well, I used to be an orphan and then I found some child trafficker. And because I was an orphan and saw him doing this to my people, I could kill him. On one hand, that's kind of, you know, banal and obvious. Use your trauma as your motivation. But on the other hand, like, that is not how you use the force, right? <laughs> Rage and anger, my grievances. I'm really mad at, like, things that were done to me, and so I'm going to go out and hurt people. This is not, like, what I would encourage people to do. Oh, good, I'm so glad that you were an abused child. Now go kill. You're stuck in the Star Wars mode, though, where I went was X-Men, where you're a normal person, and then you hit a moment, usually during adolescence, that is traumatic. Now, in the case of Cyclops, it's he had a really bad date. No, I'm not joking. In the case of Rogue, she was really excited kissing her first boyfriend. In the case of some others, Deadpool, he was tortured almost to death. But all of these traumas triggered their mutant ability, so I'm seeing them as X-Men fighting Mortal Kombat, which is ironic because the X-Men fought the Street Fighter people, not the Mortal Kombat people, but I digress. Yeah, it is superhero logic. That's what's frustrating about this movie, though, is because remembering that we are in the arcade, you know, their instincts to take some of these elements from the game and try to give an explanation to it. You know, like, how did these people get these powers? Like, why Why is Liu Kang mm -hmm. somebody who can shoot fireballs? Hey, that's a good instinct. But then with the way they come about on it is just, it's unsatisfying. There's both midichlorians because you got to be born with a birthmark or something. Or in the case of Kano, like, you are a loathsome person that snuck up on someone that rightfully had the power and you slit their throat in the middle of the night. Not really. Jax did the same thing. I don't think it's they rightfully were born with it. The only person born with it is the descendants of the Hosen line. The rest, if you're a better fighter than him and can kill him in a fight, then you're the best fighter. So you get the championship tattoo. But the tattoo is what gives you the supernatural powers. It's the whole thing. And, and Sonya can't even earn one. Like, you're not good enough to be in this ring because you don't have one. But that's going to be the thing that makes you super. 
all of these rules, like, I feel like, you know, using the force and the, sort of the religion behind all of the, that mysticism is a lot of wh- how people connect with characters, why they love the Star Wars universe. I really think you want to spend some time doing it better than how they're doing Arcana. Like, you're right. It, do- it should not come out because I'm mad you won't hand me an egg roll. That should not be how he develops his eye laser. Well, I suppose for Kano, that, that makes sense. I mean, because he is not a good guy. I mean, his he is fueled by rage and anger. So it's not necessarily saying that Arcana is the best attributes of somebody. So that I'm fine with that. It's just they give it a little bit of lip service, but then they don't explain it. You know what I'm saying? It's like eventually Raiden sends Cole off to get his ass kicked. And that's how he discovers his magic shirt. I guess. Oh, help me. Help me understand. Cause this is the moment. Like, I get it. You've sucked. You've sucked and you've sucked. And you need to find a thing that's going to make you good. You rightfully are ready to quit. And so here's a lightning bolt ride back to your farm. And by the way, they're in Chicago. Like I'm South side Chicago and he lives on a farm. I don't, I don't know that part of Chicago. And I thought I did. So <laughs> gotta go way south. <laughs> but here's where I'm again. I think this character is going to turn into Scorpion and. Goro goes and attacks his wife and child, and I'm like, ah, and let's mention Cole has had visions of his ancestor, like, in fire. Mm-hmm. Burning in hell, I think. I didn't know, but they're going to say he's burning in hell. I didn't know, because if your enemy is Sub-Zero, and that's ice, then you should be fire. I just thought it was thematic. Sure. Fire versus ice. But he's seeing this, and he's being told, unlock your arcana. And then we see a glimpse of his ancestor, and I'm like, okay. His arcana is he turns into scorpion. So now his wife and child are being threatened, just like his ancestor's wife and child were. This is what it's going to take. Look. His clothes are changing. He's going to turn into the Scorpion outfit. Wait, is he Groot wearing an Under Armour shirt? What is that? Is he Bark? Is he Tree Man? What is his power? I thought maybe he transformed halfway into Scorpion and then it would go the rest of the way. This character was so blue balling. Yeah, he he becomes Euro Trash. Like, yeah, if a flashy, too tight shirt is your power, like, that's it. Don't, you're done. You're, you really do need to quit the ring. And like, his swords are like so close to his hand, you would at least half the time be slitting your own wrists when you were like cutting people. That is a type of martial arts weapon. I don't understand it, but it's kind of like a bladed staff. Visually, they do try to draw it together, but what they're trying to tell us, I do not know. I mean, they they try to, like, show us the scorpion's blade weapon being wrapped in hell a few times, and I think that design element is supposed to be what's making his shirt, which looks like wrapping like that, too. But what they're trying to say about that, I do not know. I mean, other than the fact that both of them have kind of a swirly wrap design. Are we sure that this movie finished filming? (laughs) <laughs> like it was done before COVID hit because it feels like we were in the middle of production and he, if something else was going to happen and now we're just going to hand it to the effects artist to make his, his shirt shiny and yellow. They stopped filming December 13th, 2019. But in November 2020, the director said, we have a few more days to shoot. That's why the movie was delayed. So maybe there were some pickup shots. I'm going to just give them a whole lot of credit then. They got interrupted and they didn't get to shoot the movie and a lot of choices that seem completely bizarre and antithetical to a Mortal Kombat movie are probably here because they could not shoot the movie the way that they needed to. 
You can't get close to your actors. You had to keep six feet of distance. You're assuming they actually ever got back together to film. I'm assuming they never got back together to film and they just cut. Yeah, yes. It's compromised and you can feel it. I guess, I mean, Goro, it should be mentioned, is one of the more spectacular foes that you can fight. They've maybe given him the most memorable of of all of the the baddies because he's got he's giant and got four arms and he looks uh you know more cgi but also more alive than what they could pull off in 1995 yeah he just i wish he talked more i mean this is supposed to be prince goro he walks in they don't show him because they're teasing his appearance or saving money and then when he shows up here he's the hulk right he's the four-armed not incredible hulk he's roaring he actually looks like he has a Mark Ruffalo face going on. Yeah, they definitely borrowed some of the 3D assets from early Hulk. I imagine very much Marvel was in the discussion about all of the choices. We, these are basically superhero characters. We're giving them their backstory. This man got a gold shirt because he's channeling his arcana because his family was being attacked, right? Like that's his family's ultimately his power. It's what unleashes it. The trauma unleashes the power. Okay, yeah. So everyone's got a trauma that's going to make them a superhero. If you have a tattoo, I think. God, I don't want to live in a world like that. I just don't want to live in a world. It's tied to his bloodline somehow, because that's the same thing that happened to Hanzo 300 years mm-hmm. ago. <laughs> no, I think Hanzo was given the tattoo because he was a champion, but then because of how he died, it passed down generations this movie's unclear i just kind of rolled with it it's a video game movie it's better than most well if you're willing to give it all of these concessions we'll move on i'm not i just want to be clear i think that this movie's pretty terrible at this point and i can't believe that it's not easily surpassing the 95 movie but it seems to be trailing it at this point we get back to i mean we're at the climax kano has been tempted by some guy we've never seen before who was in an iron lung Oh my god, this guy. If I had a problem with any costume, it's the guy who... My wife showed me pictures that when she was eight, she wanted to be a robot for Halloween. And instead of, like, buying her a costume, her dad grabbed a bunch of cardboard boxes, spray-painted them silver, and put them on her and said, look, you're a robot. And it was cute. She was eight. What is this guy in the cardboard boxes painted black? I do not get how this gets to be on a main screen. And I looked him up because I don't know this character. First of all, he's in this iron lung, but he talks really normal, like too casual. Yeah. And I looked up this character and he looks really cool in the games. Like he does have a mask on, but he doesn't look like a giant square and he's not all black. There's some dark greens and some silvers and he's got some kick-ass swords that have nice design. Whoever art designed him for the game created a great character. And if I were that creator, I would... Ed Boone, John Tobias, whichever one of you drew Cabal, let me hand you some tissues as you weep for what they've done to your design. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like they were reaching for somewhat of a more modern video game aesthetic that's out there now. I mean, you have you have all these other games that kind of have this cyberpunk 
slash i don't even know it's just like i feel like this fits in better in some of these other games that are out there that i've seen action figures for on the shelf you know but as a mortal Kombat guy nah everybody in mortal Kombat, if nothing else is at least somewhat symmetrical and this guy having different bits and bob sticking off it just it feels otherworldly here and not of mortal Kombat. yeah outer world right the outer realm <laughs> I'm not even complaining about, like, the the costuming so much as, like, we're told that he and Kano are mortal enemies. Like, they had a, a feud that was just as bad as Bihan and Hanzo. That the Australian put this guy in this box, as you say, Arnie. But it quickly rectifies itself of, like, hey, you want to make some money? Turn off the force field that Raiden threw around this temple, and we can get to work on this climax, where everyone's going to fight their nemesis. And the force field, they kept showing us this light-up glass giant dildo that I didn't know what it was, because Raiden lifted his hand, and the force field came up. I thought Raiden was, like, generating the force field. Yeah. But no, Kano just goes up and lasers the lost-from-space prop, and now the shield is down. Yeah, and we're at the end. Again, it's baffling to me. I was like, is this Mortal Kombat? No, they're just not doing Mortal Kombat. They do, though. They lose these early fights, and this is where Kung Lao dies, and I'm thinking, they need to kill more heroes. It is Mortal Kombat, you know? People were upset that Johnny Cage didn't come back in Mortal Kombat 3 the game, but you've got to lose some heroes along the way, too. Kung Lao does get the best... Like, Victor, he gets a, I don't know if it's a flawless victory, but he does get my favorite kill in the movie, though, with that hat. Yeah, he turned a hat that looked like I'd play drums with it as a symbol into an asset when it does buzz sauce <laughs> a character from head to groin. That kill is cool, but then it also bothers me just, like, the real-world implications. Like, if it's sharp enough to cut somebody in half through bone and marrow and everything, then you're going to cut your fingers as you're sliding your hand across that brim. <laughs> You're not going to sell many of these at Target. Like, no one's going to buy these and, and wear them, yes. It's his Arcana, though. It's, you know, it's I didn't know how the disc kept spinning. It's his Arcana. He has telekinesis only over his hat. <laughs> but yes, because he had the cool kill, they're going to have to kill him, too. And he's also not an OG. He came in in the sequels, so Kung Lao, exit the fist, go ahead. I really thought that we should kill somebody else, too. Probably Jax, because he's sitting around and he's got, like, T-100 arms and is really depressed about it. Yeah, he looks like a Rector set. Like, like, and, and we've seen a few scenes, but he and Sonya used to be in the same troop together, Special Forces, and she's trying to inspire him to live again, but, like, it was just basically one scene of him hitting a punching bag and going this is not me now he his arcana the trauma is that he he loved her like i don't know like they're we're really having to dig deep here no i don't think it's that i think it's he feels so bad about himself because his arms are weak and he can't lift a rock and so he feels so bad about himself that he grows his arms do you know how scary it would be if everyone that's on the internet with like a low <laughs> self-esteem complex suddenly got superpowers and could come at you like that? That would be very bad. Like, I am not liking this concept. But they don't have the tattoos. <laughs> You're right. I keep forgetting about the tattoo part that you can maybe inherit or maybe be born with. So your arcana can be a part of your personality. It can be your deepest insecurity. It can be a wish that you 
put upon a star. I don't know. It's insecurity mostly. And that is a weird <laughs> thing to frame a fighting movie around. Like how insecure you are is how great you're going to be beating up on people. I don't know how a hat fixes your insecurity unless some metal pattern baldness is. <laughs> that hat. I don't know how a hat makes you give, give you any confidence at all. <laughs> But because of this, Raiden takes them all to this mid-realm. It's the pause button, right? When you're like, it's not going well and you got to go answer the door or whatever. Like, <laughs> Couldn't he hit the pause button before Kung Lao was killed? <laughs> I don't, again, like I'm hitting the eject at this point. This is just so bad. But yes, this is where we have to have Cole be inspiring. He's going to give the rallying speech that says, hey, we're not losers, I guess. And he has a plan. Why don't we do one-on-one battles like the game does? (laughs) And you know what, though? This is giving me what I want. Again, one-on-one battles, Mortal Kombat. I'll call out again. A lot of the character designs, I was surprised they included certain characters here because they really redesigned them. Like, we got Melina here, and she's the one with the... It looks like she went down on her girlfriend during Shark Week. (laughs) Jeez. Yeah. (laughs) Itchy the killer, yeah, the widened mouth. Yeah, she ear to ear, she's got a jaw that can open up and chew on things. But she is the sexy one in Mortal Kombat. Like, they keep making her outfits smaller and smaller in every sequel. And here she's, like, in body armor, but I do I do legitimately like the moment where she's so mad, her cheeks rip open, and she gets, like, the widened mouth. Yeah, I mean, her thing in the game is that they always hide that crazy jaw with a Sub-Zero-type mask, and then when she reveals, mm-hmm. you know, takes that off, you reveal, oh, this beauty is actually a monster. Mm-hmm. I get it. Some Dance of the Seven Veils kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, and obviously so you would think that they would feature her woman against woman, but Sonya is actually, she's got to settle the score with Kano first. And this is how she finally gets her mark. I have to say, I thought they might have forgotten to include a scene. I was so pissed at the editing at this point anyway. I'm like, when Kano turned evil, did they forget the scene where Sonya got her mark? Because I thought maybe because he was no longer an Earth champion, he'd lose it. Sonya is part of the crew now. Raiden's like, Sonya, who do you want to fight? I figure she's a champion. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's like Melina bites her and is like, you're not even worth killing because your blood is not in our league. But like, yeah, she's good enough to be on this hero team because they're such losers. <laughs> But when she kills Kano, that's when she gets it. And with a garden gnome. I just want to point out that Kano <laughs> earlier had spat on her garden gnome outside her trailer park home. And now this is like a victory for her. Uh... And garden gnome owners everywhere. <laughs> This movie is about more about gardening than it is about combat. I will just say with the hole on a stick and like, yeah, this, just terrible. And she also like comes back, like what's her power? She has wrist cuffs that blast things. She does blow a hole in Melina. Yeah, she has arm lasers. In the game, she wore like some Black Widow type wristlets that could shoot lasers here. If she does that Wonder Woman wrist cross thing, pink laser shoot out. Everyone gets their victory moment. That's hers. Luke Kang avenges his cousin by basically sitting down and praying for a fire dragon to do all the work. It seems kind of lazy. That's one of his fatalities, though. That looked 
awesome. I am so geeking out with the fire dragon. I'm like, oh, you've made that actually look real when I've just seen it pixelated and not by me playing it because I'm not that good. This is awesome. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like, Stuart, you're checked out at this point, but this is the part of the movie where they're actually doing fan service. You know, they're making it look, you know, like the stages from the game and doing the fatality. This is what we should be here for. Okay. I feel like it's not the techno party that Anderson had. Like, I feel like the music isn't the same. Like, because they've gone for something different, it isn't the uh, adrenaline fanboy service that that 95 movie was. I miss it because here during the climax, they bring in some reprises. Every so often you hear the bum, 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 and then they go to other score Mm -hmm. parts. Yeah. But I tell you, I listened to the score. I did a review for it. It was in our last In Focus newsletter, if you're subscribed to that. And you know what I also heard this week? A band did a cover of this and somehow got Gilbert Gottfried to voice it. And so they played the guitar music and he goes, Mortal Kombat! (laughs) And that was better than the score to this film. Mm -hmm. Gilbert, I'm sure he's a big gamer. Anyway, Jax is, like, getting used to his arms. They do work, after all, and can smash Rico in the head. Like, that was a, a, you know, anytime that they're putting a lot of blood gush, it feels like they're doing something right. Again, sometimes, like, with the body cut in half, I'm like, is it too much fan service? Is it too much, hey, look, kitties, we're R-rated, we're now feeding that base impulse? But the base impulse they're feeding me is I'm liking seeing these classic characters that I've played video games with for, God help me, 26 years come to life on screen and finally have their Mortal Kombat. But what I'm lacking is that Sub-Zero is so overpowered. I mean, how can anybody stand up to Sub-Zero? They all go one-on-one. Sub-Zero was left out, but he decided he was going to go visit Cole's house, and we see him walk up like we saw him do in the 17th century, and then when we see him next, he's with Cole. His daughter made a string bracelet while Sub-Zero froze it and shattered it, and so... We think their family's dead, but I'm thinking they didn't die on screen. So maybe they're not. Nope, there they are, sculpted in ice. I'm like, damn, they really killed both of them. Oh, no. <laughs> no, they're going to puss out on that. No. No, no, the family wasn't going to be dead. Like, there was something about the, the family beforehand. We could see even in their frozen state, they were bleeding. So, like, they had been punctured or something like that. Mother and daughter here look fine. They're just cold. You know, like, they got, like, Cole is going to be lured back to the gymnasium where he never won a fight. And let somebody else win this fight. Like, again. (laughs) This is so disappointing. Again, I thought he would become Scorpion. That he is losing. And he continues to just run and punch a wall of ice to try to rescue his family. But it looks so impotent to just punch a wall with nothing happening. And then, out of nowhere... For nothing Cole does, this guy comes forth, I guess Cole brings out the blade. Raiden gave him the old hoe blade, and Cole decides to try to use it, and once it's used, Scorpion shows up. Or Hanzo, who's now like, if you're Sub-Zero, call me Scorpion, I'm gonna be the one to kick your ass while Cole punches ice. I mean, I suppose this is the one through line of this entire movie that does somewhat make some sense. I mean, if we follow Sub-Zero from the beginning, his whole thing was that he wanted to rid the planet of Hanzo's bloodline. And we see that at the opening and that's where we end up. We end up with him facing off with the last of that bloodline. So that's been Sub-Zero's thing the whole time. Like he wasn't in it for Mortal Kombat. He really wasn't in it 
to serve Shang Tsung. His whole thing was to eliminate this bloodline. So fine, that's great. Here we are. And to have Scorpion show back up here, I'm fine with it. I feel like in some of the games, Scorpion has been somewhat of a demon from hell anyway. So this isn't too far away. But where does that leave Cole? Like, don't you want Cole to have this victory? I haven't cared about Cole this entire time. (laughs) Let me give you an analogy, though. Stuart, you've been bringing up Star Wars a lot. Cole is on a classic hero's journey. So Cole is our Luke Skywalker. He's brought in. He refuses the call. Forever. I mean, Raiden says, you can lose if you want. Yeah. And he runs home. This is the classic Campbellian refusal of the call. And then at the end of the movie, he's supposed to be the hero. Now imagine you're watching Star Wars and Luke refuses the call, goes home, finds Aunt Brew and Uncle Ben dead, goes back, journeys with Obi-Wan, learns the Force, and at the end, Biggs blows up the Death Star. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it. You have to give this to Cole. I don't know why you have the other guy come back from hell to do this. Like, this is Cole. That's why I thought Cole would become Scorpion. I thought Scorpion had to defeat Sub-Zero and that the spirit of Hanzo would take over Cole and Cole could become Scorpion. But that Hanzo just is raised from the dead and breathes fire to kill Sub-Zero. Yes, there is a brief moment of the two of them fighting two-on-one, but from what I can tell, Cole is useless in this. Cole is only effective in saving his family from hypothermia while Scorpion does all the work. The only person I saw Cole kill was Goro. He gutted him and stuck something through his eye and cut off his hand. Like, he did that really dramatically, but that didn't feel like enough. The focus should not have been on him. It really should not have been they should have yeah either had him transform into this character or cast a different actor to make a more compelling cold i still like my original idea best where in the 17th century have this actor play hanzo with a mustache and a beard and then age him uh age him up and then he says remember this face and then at the end the spirits of his ancestors empower him to become scorpion and he has the memories of his ancestor and says remember my face and he is scorpion that is a hero's journey worth having and that is his arcana is that he can summon his ancient spirits not wear a ugly shirt but <laughs> that it just comes about this way is so blue balling yeah for a character that is the lead of a Mortal Kombat movie where it should all be about the fighting. Doesn't matter whether you can act, doesn't matter whether we believe the love story, you've got to be an incredible fighter to be victorious in this realm for him to be essentially the water boy, like to mop up the blood and and watch other people do it is a terrible miscalculation. I don't understand it. Well, they're not going to keep him around to train because after this, he's going to go on the road and be their recruiter. Yeah. He's going to like, yeah, stay on this project, but like he's quitting MMA. Like the, the promoters are like, Oh, okay. He's heading to Hollywood. And you know, it's implied from a poster that we cover the face, but it's a movie star poster. Johnny Cage is the star of some movie. They're going to get to a character we would like to see be the lead in part two. But do you want a part two? Justin Stewart, do you recommend Mortal Kombat? Justin. This is going to sound a little bit crazy after the conversation we just had, right? Because I agree with every nitpick that we just went over. And I will say... 
that this is the best Mortal Kombat movie that we've seen. And I know, Arnie, you might have a little problem with that because you have a soft spot for that first one. But on screen, this feels like at least somebody who's played the game wanted to at least explore some of the lore of that game and put it on in a movie. But they lost the thread in too many places. Ultimately, we were just talking about it, and this is what it comes down to me, is Cole is a character they introduced for no reason, and his story goes nowhere. You can cut Cole out of this movie and have a cool fighting demo reel of the game of cutscenes. But at the end of the day, I did not hate this movie. I could try to, but it didn't offend me. And I wasn't super bored. There were parts where it lagged. But when we do get to some of these fight scenes, I feel like they're giving enough fan service for people who just like popping the game in and mashing the buttons. We get to see some cool fatalities. And overall, it's not going to be a recommend for me because it is what it is. But it is up there as far as like being an arcade movie. I feel like it tried some things. It just failed at those tryings so ultimately it's a not recommend but it's definitely not the worst movie in the arcade and it's not the worst movie in this series so mild not recommend Stuart. yeah i hear you i hear what you're saying i've grappled with that too because there was some kind of ambition here i tried to break it down we've seen failure in a lot of different ways in the video game retrospective we've seen directors that lose the fight because they don't even understand the property you know you look at double dragon did they play the game what the hell is going on here you've seen directors go to fanboy and don't care enough about delivering a movie they just want to geek out i definitely feel like that 95 mortal Kombat. that is a problem there we've seen uva bull who again has made a career out of losing his fights and yet still winning money because he has no talent, no temperament for this thing. This failure, yeah, he was trying to honor the source material, but he was also trying to honor like epic movie storytelling. He had a budget. He had enough professional people there, but he winds up, I think it's just like he has no style. Ultimately, his idea of a superpower is a really ugly yellow shirt that is ill-fitting. And so, you know, there's a line in the movie. It's spoken. Like, in Mortal Kombat, talent will only get you so far. And I feel like that is the wall that we hit here. There's enough people here that they know how to make something, but they don't have any style. Like, it's very uninspired. All of the characters feel like they're going through the motions. Where's the passion? McQuad should be committed to this like this was the last movie they'd ever let him make. You know, this is your first movie. You got to prove something with that. Where is it? Where is that passion? Where is that vision? It's a movie without vision. And I it surprised me because the game has plenty of it. And the R rating and the budget should allow this movie to easily be the best of the Mortal Kombat movies, if not the best video game movie we've ever seen. And I'm going to rank it two, maybe three. It might be, it's probably not worse than Annihilation, but I would rather watch the 95 movie than this. And I'm shocked by that. All right. Now, after the conversation we had, Justin, you said what you say might shock you. What I say might shock listeners. (laughs) Oh my God. You're going to recommend this? I walked out of that theater going, all right, you know, the characters were dull. They were yes. just all dull except for Kano. I mean, yes. I right. laughed out loud, put on your shirt, Magic Mike. And Sub-Zero. Sub-Zero was cool, too. Yes, he was. He wasn't very cool dialogue-wise, cause, and I don't know why he kept sh- switching languages, other than to just confuse his enemies. <laughs> but yes, Sub-Zero and Kano were really 
good characters in this movie. Raiden was Raiden. He was where I expect Raiden to be. I think, again, Sonya Blade was a bit of an upgrade. Wow. I thought Jax was an upgrade compared to the guy who was so lacking self-confidence in that sequel that he had to take off his metal arms to win a fight. I thought Melina was better than Katana back in part two. Even Reptile was better in this movie than the Reptile we had last time. Oh, Jesus. I'm never going back to Annihilation if that was worse than what we saw in this movie. (laughs) So going in, I knew this couldn't be as bad as Annihilation. It just wouldn't make it out the gates. They would cut filming if they saw the dailies and it was as bad as Annihilation. Unreleasable. Yes. But- Would I like it more than the first one? And I walked out of the theater, again, first theatrical experience in a while. I could have been a little bit heady from being in an IMAX screen for the first time in seven months. But I walked out going, you know, if you didn't like the game, you probably would really not like this movie. But I've played this game enough to get enough geek moments, like when Sub-Zero creates the ice wall, and Liu Kang brings the fire dragon, and... Kano rips out a heart, and they work in lines like finish him, or during training here, we're going to test your might. You know, they just bring in the quotes in non-cheesy ways. And I walked out and I went, you know, this is, this is a weak recommend. Is it the first film? No, but it's a, it's a weak recommend. And then I watched it this morning before recording. I took some notes and I went, yeah, yeah, they're, they're worse on the small screen. I'm glad I saw them in theaters. And yet, I still came in on my high of, you know, weak recommend. But during this conversation, I've just had an epiphany of like, yeah, that was a lot of shit. (laughs) Yes. I'm glad that you're like, we all need to not recommend this. This is a bad movie. And I want to just make it clear. It's not like you two convinced me. I was in there giving the punches as much as you guys were. So it's not like I heard your arguments and went, yeah, I came in and had far more complaints about this movie than I had compliments. And I went, maybe I was forgiving of this movie in theaters. And yeah, I think I'm going to go to week not recommend for it. I I had a fun time, but I think really the first one's still the only one you need to see. The 1995 Paul W.S. Anderson. And Paul W.S. Anderson, congratulations. After Monster Hunter, you need every compliment you can get. You've still made the best Mortal Kombat film. Uh, That's probably true, but I did not like that movie either. And I just want to put it out there. As someone that didn't think they liked fighting games, Mortal Kombat convinced me that I did. I like the video game. I believe that this could be easy to do if you have the passion, the budget, the R rating, and the support to pull it off. The best Mortal Kombat movie remains unmade. It should be doable. And I do believe that it has exceeded the grasp of everyone that has tried. Yeah, I think that's probably my biggest disappointment is I wish somebody, and Stuart, you nailed it, there was no style here. I wish somebody would have the balls Mm -hmm. to take the beginning of this movie and tell us a pre-Mortal Kombat story in that era. Yeah, that was a cool way to begin. You're right. There are moments, Arnie. There's absolutely, there are moments, mostly when they're just referencing the game, where you go, oh, they had something here, but it just doesn't look cool. You said the when you were listing what would take to make a good Mortal Kombat movie, and you said the R rating. Can I point out that this movie was gory as hell? The director said they had to cut some stuff back because of the NC-17 looming. Mm-hmm. And- The gore did not make any of us recommend this movie. A Mm -mm. better script is more important to me than the R rating. If you gave us compelling characters and 
preferably either put them from the movie or at least release simultaneously a game based on the movie where I can play as a character so I pretend to care about him and make that new character cool. That is what was lacking here. And you have to be somewhat beholden to the game world. But if you look at, yeah, one of the best, two of the best video game movies, both came out in the past couple years. Detective Pikachu, Mm -hmm. which there was a Detective Pikachu game, but that was so little like the Pokemon. It was putting you in that Pokemon world, but it was nothing like that Pokemon cartoon or any Pokemon we had seen before it. And Sonic the Hedgehog, where guess what? He was not jumping and gathering rings and hitting springs. You know, you took characters and gave them cinematic storylines. Here, they seem so limited by their budgets, because both in Mortal Kombat Annihilation and here, their vision of Outworld is, let's put a purple filter on a lens and film the desert so everything's just blue, and that makes it alien, and... I mean, Star Trek had better alien planets. Mm -hmm. Style. Again, it's not about budget. We've seen lots of talented people with no money give us cool-looking imagery because they had an eye for it. Yeah, I just think this can be a great martial arts movie, and they just whiffed it this time. And I don't know what went wrong. And yeah, for 100 million, Goro should look better. For 100 million, Reptile shouldn't look like he was a second draft of Annihilation. It's disappointing. I I thought I had more fun than I did, because when I watched this a second time and really started taking notes on it, the first time I just enjoyed the movie. I didn't take a single note except in my head. Second time, I'm writing down notes, I'm watching plot lines, and I'm like, These characters aren't fun to watch. The games have gotten better. I wanted to turn on Mortal Kombat 11 again, because I'm enjoying that story. I'm enjoying that game. The games have continually gotten better, and the movies have gotten worse since 1995. So, unfortunately, it's yet another out-of-order sign in our arcade. (laughs) It'll be interesting to see what the box office is, and if a part two of this is going to end up coming our way, because they, they teased enough to leave it open for a sequel. Cole has signed for five movies. Oh, jeez. Oh, God. Yeah, you don't even bring him back. They have other characters. You bring, like, first scene, Johnny Storm runs over him and is like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm here now. <laughs> like, or not Johnny Storm. Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage, yeah. Or maybe Johnny Storm. Any jo- Johnny Cash. I don't care who it is. Everyone has more charisma than the guy that you tried to sell us as the lead. Don't do him again. He was done better in Deadpool 2 where they killed him in five minutes as a joke. That is his career. Showing up to be killed. That is what you should do, sir. Like, you are the loser. You are the jobber in the wrestling ring. You are the one that's paid to go down so that someone else can look cool. Will they do it though? Will they continue on? Do you, let's ask, do you want to? Would you want another director to step in here and do part two? Or would they just do better to just scrap it all and start over somewhere else in five to ten years? That's closer to where I'm at. I'm not done with Mortal Kombat as a movie franchise. I just feel like nobody's done it properly yet. So, like, that's that's yeah. the one thing that gave me excitement going into this. I was like, oh, okay, we get a, a fresh slate, and they'd end up just doing a modern version of the 95 version. The 1995 movie, even Bridget Wilson Sampras, who was not a great fighter... I really became attached to all of those actors and characters and thought they were fun. Were any of them great actors? No, but I thought they were all fun. 
And I was really excited for a sequel to that because I wanted to see that team back together. And when they got back together, only Liu Kang came back from the cast. They got rid of everybody else or nobody else would agree to come back. And that really disappointed me that the people who I'd had fun with in that first movie weren't coming back. Now, you're asking me, would I want a sequel to this? I kind of like the story they're setting up. I kind of like Shang Tsung cheating before the tournament. You've left me with uh, Hook being my favorite character. Johnny Cage is going to come into it. But I'm not attached to any of these people except Kano, and you killed him. So it's like, I'd kind of like to know where the story goes, but I almost want a soft reboot where every actor is replaced. (laughs) You just, you're like, yeah, that movie happened, or... You know what I'm thinking of is kind of like the Incredible Hulk versus Ang Lee's Hulk. When the Incredible Hulk started, they're like, yes, I turned into the Hulk. Yes, I was in a lab. They don't retell that first one, but yet it is a reboot. You've got different actors or anything. You're not doing the origin story again. You could just do like Johnny Cage. Yeah, you just focus on the new guy in Hollywood. And and like we get a new story, a new entry point, and a new way to try and crack this nut that just refuses to be a good movie. I'm still wanting more Mortal Kombat. I'm not wanting more of this. Mm-hmm. Or any video game movies, but there's still like about a dozen. We still got to get to, I believe the next ones we're going to tackle sometime this summer. It's not, nothing is set in stone, of course, with the way things move around. But Dead Rising is a zombie video game that had not one, but two films made for Crackle Television. Those are pretty recent movies, right? Like, they weren't even in existence when we started the arcade? Possibly? I, I Yeah, they're pretty recent. I don't know much about it. I don't even know the game Dead Rising, but if it's got zombies, I'm a little intrigued. Sounds like Resident Evil. And then there's also Yakuza, which does look like a really cool video game. I want to play that, and it's been uh, made into a Takashi Miki, very violent movie that I can't wait to see as well. The director brings clout on that one. The game does not for me. I've never heard of it. But after Monster Hunter, there are games that are very big internationally that I haven't heard of. And it sounds like Yakuza might be one of them. But yeah, I'm... I'm not dreading what is to come. It's not like we're like, and next time, Uva Bowl is back. <laughs> yeah, I know, we're past Uva. <laughs> it can't get any worse than what we've already gone through. I mean, I've already been scarred up enough. The wounds will heal. It's just how fast. If Uva came back, I would be so angry that I would learn my arcana is to fire fireballs at him. Mm. <laughs> But we're going to step away from video games for a while. We're going to get back to Marvel. We're going to get back to what this movie wanted to be. Falcon and Winter Soldier wrapped up last week, and we've been waiting to talk about it. That show will be out next Tuesday. And in the meantime, this Friday, if Kano ripped out your heart, would it go on? (laughs) Yes, we are going back to the most infamous Celine Dion song of all time and the biggest movie of all time for a long time, James Cameron's Titanic, 1997. April is the anniversary of the actual Titanic sinking, and we are going to be looking back at the whole history of Titanic movies building up to that 97 feature. It's an epic show. Should be a really good time if you're an April patron. I hope you can join us. I think the ship sank in less time than it took for us to record it. And I'm talking real world hours, not movie hours. Yeah, only by about 20 minutes. But yeah, (laughs) it did. And the film, huge hit at the time. 
divisive now? What did we think? What do you think? You can find out by being a Now Playing patron of $10 or more. If you go to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate, you'll find all the details on how to be a monthly patron of our show. $10 or more, you're going to get over 50 bonus podcasts that we've already recorded for our patrons, as well as a new patron show every month. We're going to have another patron show just the week after the wonderfully abridged title, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. So, two in a row for our patrons. Find the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate, or if it's easier to remember, nowplayingpatron.com. So thank you for playing Mortal Kombat with us, listeners. We appreciate every single one of you, whether you're able to be a patron or not. We always are so happy that you guys listen to us on our Totally Free Tuesday shows. Let us know on our Facebook group. Did you like this one more than we did? Come and tell us. I know I've seen some positive things being said about this by some of my friends on Facebook. Do you guys agree? We have a Facebook group. It's private. You just have to go to our Facebook page, request entry. We'll let you in and you can chat with us about this movie or anything else. I'm having a lot of fun in that group and Jason and Jacob and I know Justin, you're in there a bit. Stuart, you're just cut all ties with online. (laughs) Everyone but Stuart. Stuart doesn't do Facebook. I'm lucky Stuart still has an internet connection to record with. I mean, legitimately. The Ludditism is is strong with that one. Every year it gets bigger, actually. (laughs) It's like, Stuart, can I email you? Well, I have a telegraph. (laughs) Here's a pigeon. Send it to me. Write it down in in calligraphy. (laughs) But I do send him some of your messages. He sees some of what you post. So come to our group and let us know what you thought of Mortal Kombat. And Justin Stewart, thank you for joining me. Until next time, game over. This ends now! Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Finish him! We hope you've enjoyed the show. You've all made me very proud. I will be watching We'll stay out of trouble. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. Just another Starstruck fan, huh? And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other video game movies, including Resident Evil, The Wizard, Doom, Final Fantasy, Prince of Persia, Super Mario Brothers, The King of Kong, Tomb Raider, Street Fighter, Double Dragon, Rampage, and more. If you'd like a tour, I'd love to give it to you myself. Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. Ah, now I have seen everything. Do you want to continue? Insert money now to keep playing, now playing. Do not underestimate the power of the human spirit. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. You're still running away from your destiny. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, 
Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Every mortal is responsible for his own destiny. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. At last one of them is understood. You can also join the Now Playing patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month. Plus, even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our host to review. Find the details on our website. Come here! If you enjoy Now Playing, please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star listing. It's the best way to help spread the word about the podcast. I've got to tell you something. You guys did great. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. You can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Get over here! You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. <laughs> yeah, now that's what I'm talking about. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Wise cultivate his favor. Those who challenge his power become his slaves. Now Playing's video game retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Piece of cake. Piece of cake, huh? Well, it was easy for me. Oh, get over yourself. Now Playing credits read by Brock. so much. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. I say the only ones we can trust from here on out are humans. Nobody else. Not even Ray. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. It wasn't enough you filled my head with that nonsense. How can you, a wise man, believe this? We all believe it, including your brother. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Venganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the express written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021. All rights reserved. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Flawless victory. <laughs> Raiden reveals Cole is a descendant of Hanzo. Hanzo? No. It is. It is Hanzo? Yep. Hanzo Hasashi. That's right. Yeah, I, w- I was hoping you'd give me that again. Okay. <laughs> uh, I put Hanzo Hanazi, this one. So. <laughs> or you could go with that. <laughs> But when Bihan, be, yeah. But I, I wrote it phonetically, and I was like, "It's not Bihan." <laughs> Gilbert, I'm glad to see he's still working. That's what we're calling it. He's looking. They filmed him doing it. He's looking at this list like Raiden, Liu Kang. <laughs> he has no idea what he's saying. <laughs> I'm sure he's a big gamer. Jessica McNamee, Jessica McNamee, Jessica McNamee. Nobody knows her anyway. Mm-mm. <laughs>
Now after this movie, nobody will ask for it. <laughs> ah! Ah!